Okay. I hope you all got outlines. You have your Bibles. Because we're going to talk about Scripture today. How, what the Bible says about being a wife. So I'm going to open in prayer. And Lord, we are really thankful for how your Scripture addresses women. And it teaches us so much about how we can please you through being wives. And we pray that as we consider your word today, you will teach us what we need to know, and you'll equip us to help others. And Lord, I pray for our um, singles among us that also you would help these women to know what they should be looking for as they consider becoming a wife. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we want to submit to our husbands for God's sake, for the Lord's sake. Do you know where I got that from? Ephesians 5. I'll read Ephesians 5.22, our main text for wives. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now, submission's not popular, is it? But we see it in the scripture, and we want to understand what it means, because maybe some of us have the wrong concepts, wrong ideas of what submission is. So as we look at this outline, look at my Roman numerals. Do you see each one? It spells out a word. First letter of each Roman numeral. Roman numeral two, hold fast. That's letter H. What else? Roman numeral three, do you have obey your husband's leadership? Uh-huh. N-H-O-N-O-R-S. The wife honors her husband and honors the Lord by submitting. Hey, got it. All right, so let's look at hold fast. Hold fast to this role that God has given you because, like I said, it's not popular. The world doesn't consider submission as a very good role indeed. A lot of people are offended by it, actually. Uh, it's an evil word. We don't say that word. You've got Christian feminism. You've got gender-neutral translations, which are taking the male and female out, talking about people in general. And we have culture going against the idea of submission. And that's because, I think, it's being misunderstood. So let's look at scripture and understand what submission is. So God has designed it. That's the first thing. Is this a cultural, transitional, temporary situation? Submission? No, I don't think anybody. This church is well taught, so we know that Genesis talks about the first marriage. In Genesis 2, in verse 18, it says, The Lord said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So the wife is the one who is the helper to the husband from the beginning. That's a creation ordinance. So, and it's actually before the fall. <laughs> Do you see that? 
before evil came into the world, God set it up this way. Sometimes that's all we need to realize. Hey, it's good. So you know that God says we need to have leadership in marriage. So the role of a wife is set up as protection for her. She's under her husband's leadership, and that's exactly where God wants her to be. So the question is, now, you're talking about submission, but I've heard it is a bad thing. Um, maybe it's like being a doormat, not having a voice. I can't speak up for myself. But let's see what submission means in Scripture. And we are going to look for your key passage, and that is 1 Corinthians 11, verse 3. Not a passage about marriage. It's about the roles of the the Trinity. And you, you may need to walk with me carefully through this, but we're going to talk, I'm going to read you 1 Corinthians eleven three, and then we'll see what it means in the Trinity. That says, but I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of the wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. There's a set of leadership right there. Now, we also know from Galatians 3 that there is no male or female. God sees us all as co-heirs with Christ. Do you see that? You know that concept. Okay. So, in the Trinity, we have the relationship of Christ and submission to God. Do you see that? The head of Christ is God. Now, does that mean that Christ is lesser or less important or worse off because he submits to God, the Father? No. And this will help us to understand what biblical submission is when we see, hey, you know, this is God's economy. This is how he set it up, and it's beautiful. So we know Jesus, even when he was walking on earth, he submitted to his parents. Okay, does that mean he was lesser than his parents? No, actually, he would actually save his mother as beautiful Christmas hymn says. But she's, she needed a savior, but when Christ was living on earth, he submitted to his parents. And we know that God has established authority in many other relationships. Children are to obey their parents, right? We have to obey the government. Doesn't, we're not talking about lesser or more important things, okay? It's just a matter of God's leadership through these different categories. And another way you might want to look at submission is how Jesus talks about it. Mark, no, sorry, Matthew chapter 20. The disciples were arguing about who is the greater. In other words, we could say that with us. Now, women aren't as great as men if they're submissive. Is that right? No, here's what it says in Matthew 20, verse 25. Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve 
and to give his life as a ransom for many. So our model of greatness is actually being a servant. There you go. Are we supposed to serve one another in love? Yes. Husbands are supposed to serve their wives. We know that too. But I'm talking about women now in marriage as being in a role of a servant. And hey, that's a really great thing, according to what Jesus says. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Oh, that's going to encourage you, moms, when you get up early in the morning, trying to get your household all getting together. You're saying, I'm serving this household. Actually, God sees it as a really great thing that I'm doing for my family. Thank you. So, the people who think, well, submission's not right, are looking at Christian, Christian women as doormats. They don't have a voice. You know, they're like those women who, in Afghanistan who walk around with burqas because they can't do or think or see anything. It's, um, I used to actually live in the Middle East, so I know what it's like to see women in veils. And uh, that is not submission. We are instead to be respectful and honor our husbands as the leader. And I've had girls say, well, I don't know about submission. I mean, I don't really respect my boyfriend. I don't think I could ever submit to him. You know what? Don't marry him. You don't marry somebody you can't respect and honor and submit to. All right. So... I want us to look now at obey. So obey your husband's leadership. We've established that's God's way. For Jesus' sake. Back in Ephesians 5, you obey your husbands as to the Lord or submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. So that just redeems the whole relationship, doesn't it? I'm doing this for the Lord's sake. Not because he's so amazing and he's so wonderful and great. Because our husbands are sinners, they're going to make mistakes. So it's taking us away from this idea that, hey, if he does all everything right, I'm going to submit to him. But the minute he does something I don't like, I will not submit. So, hey, what, what is submission, though? It's following when you don't see the direction as being the right way, but you're following him as unto the Lord. Okay, you're, all, you're thinking of questions for me, I know. I'm going to address them, don't worry. If I don't address them, come to me later. So, the first thing is, submission is not just yes sir, yes sir. It's not that kind of obedience. Okay? It's not because he's amazingly wonderful, I already told you that. The submission, though, before we talk further about it, I want to establish what it is. It says, in all things. So, we know that the church submits to Christ, so wives should also submit in everything to their husbands. And this includes things like how you spend your money, or how many times you talk to your mother this week, and he's saying, hey, I don't want you telling your mom all the stuff that's going on in our family. And then you say, all right, I understand what you're saying to me. I need to follow what you're asking me to do and how I raise my children. It's under husband's leadership because God put husbands 
in authority. And they are the ones to answer for what happens in the family. It's the wife who goes against her husband is the one who's going against God, is what I'm trying to show you. If she's, if she's going out and doing her things separately without his knowledge or leadership, then you're in a dangerous place. You're not pleasing the Lord that way. So, like I said, it's more than just, yes, sir, I will do what you say. It's even anticipating what the husband needs. Submission is doing extra. It's serving. It's anticipating and thinking, what would he want me to do in this situation? Now, he hasn't given me a specific command. Should I buy this product or not? But am I, if I buy it, is he going to be pleased with that? Is that going to be something he'll agree with? And I would, I would commend every husband who says, honey, go ahead. You're in charge of the budget. You're in charge of the shopping. That's what Jim's telling them over there. But what we're doing in here is, yes, I'm not going to do that self-indulgent little splurgy thing week after week without him knowing this is what I'm doing. Okay? Good balance. Each one of us anticipating what the other wants. So, I have had women come to me and say, well, now, if he only just were like Christ, I would have no problem following him. Hey, you know, that would be perfect, right? So the test of submission is whether you're actually going to follow when he's telling you things you're not sure about. But when you do this, you're fighting against, I know you're fighting against fear. Fear is the big challenge to those of us who are trying to be submissive. What if I do it that way? Something terrible is going to happen. Okay. For example, I want my children in this school, but he says children should go to that school. We're talking about it. We're discussing. You're expressing your opinion. He's listening, and he finally says, I really think this is the right way to go. I think they ought to go to this school. And your reaction, no, something terrible is going to happen. But submission in the Lord as unto the Lord, takes you away from that like crazy fear. But I'm not going to just tell you that. I'm going to show you some verses that will help you. So, first one is in 1 Peter 3, and you knew I was going there. So, 1 Peter 3, 1 through 6 is our classic, another classic submission passage. Verse 1, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. But at the end is what I want you to look at, verse 5, 5 and 6. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. And if we were sitting one-on-one -on -one in my counseling office, we'd have a little discussion about this passage. First, you would tell me, wait a minute, Sarah obeyed Abraham, and Abraham put her in some really bad situations. Okay, I would say to you, what was the characteristic of Sarah's life? Was it just those incidents where she was in a position of danger because her husband was lying? Or was she known as the woman who followed Abraham out of her, out of her home, 
into some unknown place, living in tents for the rest of her life. Is that how we're supposed to really, that's Sarah. Okay, think of Sarah following Abraham. Now you've got her. She obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. She was willing to follow him into the unknown because he was following God. Okay, we don't have the direct, Sarah, leave the land of your forefathers and go to the land I shall show you. No, he's speaking to Abraham. She's following, she's submitting. But you are her children if you do good and do not fear the following. Okay, are you with me? What I love about it especially is that it says you do not fear anything that is frightening. There's an admission that a submissive wife faces things that are like frightening. They're scary. Well, am I supposed to follow him when he's doing this? Okay, to establish the principle, I would say here, this passage is good because it says, you're going to do good and not fear anything. That is frightening. How can you do that? How on earth? It's in five. The holy women who hoped in God. So there you go. I've given you my conclusion already. Hoping in God helps us to be submissive. Okay, but there's plenty of material to cover before we get there. And I will start with saying that my little technique for <laughs> helping my husband when I think he's going in the wrong direction is this. We're talking, okay? I'm not just, yes, sir, no matter what. We're talking, and I'm saying to him, Jim, I will pray for you that you will make the right decision. <laughs> I am hoping in God to direct him. I'm acknowledging he's the leader, but man, am I praying for him to have wisdom. And if Jim still decides something else, I'm going to follow, okay, without fearing anything that is frightening because I'm, I'm centered in the Lord. Okay, that's the ideal. Doesn't, you know, that's the ideal. Let's hope it always works. <laughs> Not always. Okay, so instead, the, the hard part, though, is to take over. And we know that passage. It's part of the curse. And I'm sure your pastor, he's teaching through Genesis. Oh, he taught through Genesis. Now he's in Exodus. Okay, he probably covered in depth the curse, including what happened to the woman, it says, the uh, Lord said to the woman, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. So, okay, does that mean you're just like crazy, have the hots for him? Pastor probably taught you not that. The desire to rule is part of the curse. The desire to rule the husband. And I can prove it to you by saying in Genesis 4, that same word is used, and God warned him. Let me see, where's my passage? 4 7. God warned Cain. He said, If you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, its desire is for you to rule over you, your anger. It's a desire for you, but you must rule over it. So there it is. 
Our temptation is to just take over. After all, we know everything, right? And we know what's right, and we can get pretty settled in how we think things should go. So instead, we are going to step back and realize, hey, my role is a submissive, supportive role, and that's where I want to be because I want to be in God's structure. And some, women, some men would rather just give up control because she wants it. She, everybody's going to be happier if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. So he's, some men are willing to step back and not take leadership, and I want to address that right at the end. But instead, we're setting up the principle that we are not to take over. Instead, with our attitude, we're going to show respect and love to our husbands. Proverbs 14, 1. A wise woman builds her house, but the foolish tears it down with her own hand. She's ripping out the windows. She's ripping off the roof. And sometimes I tell women, you are tearing down your house. You're taking over. You're trying to run your husband, and it's not pleasing to God. So instead, you say, oh, you know, I want to be one of those wise women who's commended by the Lord. So I'll be careful in how I follow my husband. I will not ridicule or make fun of his decisions. I won't talk badly about him. You know what my husband did? He decided we needed this sports car. I don't know what's wrong with him. Some kind of midlife crisis. Okay. No, you're forgetting, girls, you're forgetting that God made the two of you one. You're hurting yourself. You're tearing your house apart when you do that, tearing down your husband. So instead, pray for him and be his excellent advisor. And be sure to appreciate all the good leadership he gives you. You can be, we're women who like to talk. You can be that one who does all the affirming. Hey, you know that decision? That, I'm so glad you decided that. Some of you might have come to this church because your husband said, honey, we're going to Riverbend. And you're going, oh, no, my plans. All, you know. Now you're probably in a place where you're going, honey, I'm really glad you had us come to Riverbend because I can see all the spiritual benefits. It's just, and I have friends here now. <laughs> so... We're affirming, we're encouraging our husbands in their leadership because that's how we are honoring God. You're honoring the Lord by following his plan. And it really takes a lot of faith in the Lord to be a truly submissive wife. Do I have an amen? Yes. All right. So next is letter N. We're going to notice how we can do him some good. We're going to be that Proverbs 31 wife who does him good and not evil all the days of her life. So, God has designed us to complete our husbands. We're like the friend who loves at all times. We're companions. We can help him sexually. So, that's a way of being doing good for our husbands and be a place of refreshment for him, be an encouragement to him when he's out battling the world and all the images of the world. 
to now, hey, you're home. You're home. Welcoming wife. Loving wife. I like to think of it as our husbands are like ships out on, did you see this ocean today? Some of us saw the ocean like crashing waves. and Okay, husband's out there in the world fighting hard. He comes home to a haven, like a safe harbor. That's home. It's not the place where he gets more fighting and arguing. Okay, that's what we want to be. We want to help him in other ways when our husbands are weak. Some husbands just don't have a clue in social situations, right? Theoretically, husbands need our help in social situations. Some of our guys need help, right? So you can just give him a little heads up, or you can remind him who somebody's name is, or you can do the small talk to smooth things out. We can be good at that because we're tuned into one another personality-wise. We can, some, hus- some wives can be submissive by taking over the books. Do you think that's possible? Yeah. Can you be the one to pay the bills, balance the checkbook, make sure insurance gets paid, all that? Can you do that and still be submissive? Yes, because that's a way of being a help, right? That's a compliment. I mean, my husband studied accounting, but does he mess up the checkbook? Maybe, uh, theoretically, yes, he does. So I'm the one who does the checkbook. He does the big things. I do the little detailed things. I'm helping him. So we want to also help our husbands succeed in their vocation, in their ministry. In Proverbs 31, we see that husband standing, sitting at the gate among his companions because she is running the household. And boy, is she. But Proverbs 31, verse, uh, let me see. It says, where is this? He, he praises her. We heard about that. And let's see. He's, oh, verse 23. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. And lots of successful men have those wives behind them who are supportive, who are paving the way, encouraging. Some wives are the ones who work while their husbands are getting higher education. In a practical way, they're serving. But the men who go out and conquer the world have the supportive wives behind them who are taking up the slack, who are taking extra jobs so that they can do big jobs. And that's a beautiful thing. The Lord honors that. We're actually, a lot of wives consider her, their husband's career their career. And you hear men talk like that sometimes. Well, we were in the military where maybe it was just he was enlisted. She's alongside with him. She's going through every single move he goes through. She supported the family. It's a joint operation. And women in ministry are like that too, Right? Our husbands can't be in ministry unless we're right there beside them, encouraging and supportive. And a lot of the way we support our husbands is through hospitality, because don't we love to cook? Some of us do. Don't we love to have people at our dinner table and love to lay out a good spread so that great conversation can happen? I was listening to a 
a message today by uh, Rosaria Butterfield. Hospitality comes with a housekeeper. She says, I am, what was it, every night? She's like, I am laying out a big pot of soup, and I'm ready. People are coming over to my house. Neighbors are coming. People are hurting, and I am there providing the place for that. Do you think she's got the spick and span spotless house? No, she doesn't. But she is providing a place of ministry and even evangelism. She says, this is a big part of my evangelism is opening my home. I have a friend who lives near her in North Carolina. He says, I want to show up at her house one day. I want to see what happens. <laughs> that would be interesting, wouldn't it? But we should be women who are opening our homes and helping our husbands that way, build relationships. And without making demands. Another way we help our husband is not just getting on him all the time and demanding, demanding. Instead, helping. And we can use our influence to help our husbands instead of hurting them. I don't know. Some of us who haven't been married very long don't realize how much influence we have. But our seasoned wives here know. We know. We can steer the course. We have an effect on the course of our family's life by our influence over our husband. It could be used for good or evil. Let's all use it for good to bring him into a place of peace with God and of service. Because husbands have a hard time saying no to the wives they love. That's where a lot of the influence comes from. And we can, we can beg and we can plead and those husbands who love us will do what we want. But why not we use our influence to bring spiritual things into our home, to bring healthy conversation around our table, to use it for good, to help him. And this Proverbs 31 woman also is using her influence to be a counselor. 26, she opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. A husband who has a wife like this is a very blessed man. He knows, I can run this by my wife and see what she thinks. Is this a good idea or not? He trusts her wisdom because he knows she's walking with the Lord. And there we have a very strong partnership that's honoring. And we want to be able to help our husbands by restoring them when they stray. And I'm going to talk a bit more about that later, but I'm going to put it in here now. And I'm going to give you a story of a wife whose husband was in one of those like all-consuming projects. He was, yeah, he had deadlines at work, right? And she could see he was neglecting the family because he has his outside pressure on him. After all, he's trying to support the family and boss is putting pressure and got to get this done. So she saw him with this stress, but a very, she was a very wise wife because she waited to talk to him about it until after the deadline was over. And then she said, 
You know what's been happening the past few weeks? We feel like we've neglected as a family. You're not spending time with the kids. We haven't had time together. But she waited till he was out of that pressure. She wisely chose her moment, and he was very grateful to her. He, in fact, told that story to all of us at church. I'm so glad for my wife. She was a good helper to him by bringing him to where he needs to be, but picking her moment, which I really respect that. Letter O, organize your life around your home. Now, a lot of women are working. Does it say that you can't work outside the homes? That you think the Bible teaches that? No. But I'm first going to talk about the high calling of maintaining a home. And we see this in Proverbs 31 again. She looks well to the ways of her household in verse 27. And those of us who've had college education to come back and to put our job as homemaker on those forms, people are going, what? You never used your education? No, what do you think? Homemaker is a wonderful position to be in. God honors that. And if we're high-powered lawyers or if we have no college education, God values what we're doing in the home. Okay, I'm just going to give a little shout-out to moms, homemakers, because uh, we've all heard the statistics. I mean, like, what? how many different jobs does a mom do at home? <laughs> okay. We know we're honoring the Lord by honoring our husbands and working at home. There are benefits because we're affecting society, we're affecting our children. Our home becomes a place of rest and refuge, not only for our husbands, but our children. I mean, we're preparing meals. How many families sit down to a home-cooked meal? Probably if we went out here and took a poll, all these houses around here, we'd say, hey, I don't know, is that happening? We are the ones who can do that. We can cook the healthy food. We have somebody here among us who's a dietitian type person, more than one, I bet. Say, we need to, we need to get vegetables in our kids. Are we doing it by grabbing fast food? Are we doing it by sitting and eating while we're watching TV? No, the homemaker is the one who makes it happen. We have that influence. So let's try. And we can make a place for kids to come and talk to us, husbands to be at rest. But our passage to know that wives can make a financial contribution to the family is what? Tell it to me. Yes, y'all are telling me. Proverbs 31. This is our lady. She's out doing a bunch of stuff, selling, buying, She's creating things. She's got servants. She's considering fields, helping the poor. Okay. Do you think this lady, though, is like exclusively outside the home or in the home? She's in the home. She's doing these things extra. These are extra stuff she's doing to help her household. Okay. Now, I do respect women who are high-powered lawyers, but I, what I'm trying to tell you is we want to take a biblical idea of what is the role of a wife and say, my job, whatever it is, it's going to be in support of what my main job is, 
homemaking, supporting a husband. And some of us are music teachers who teach lessons when husband's not there. Some of us are what, like what, teachers who could do that outside of the home and yet we're home when our kids are home. We've got a home in the summer when kids are off school. There are gobs of jobs you can do. There's lots of things you can do to support your family and still be a wife supportive of her husband. That was fun. That's fun to talk about. And some of the single women are thinking, now I'm going to get this job, this career, and it's going to help me in the future. And I could use this to support my family in the future. Lots of creative things to do. This woman in Proverbs 31, she's not barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen. <laughs> I love it. She's out doing things. So some of these wives, some of us are wives, though, who are children are all grown up. And now, does that mean your homemaking role is over? And some of us may feel that way, like, oh, no. Why am I getting up in the morning? It's not to get little kids out the door, but what am I going to do now? Right? We're not all sitting around and playing bridge, which people used to do that. I mean, bridge clubs. Now it might be book club. We're not all just sitting around eating candy on our sofa all day long. We are su still supportive wives. We, some of us, though, might go back to work. Actually, I started working part-time, but I can do that now. My kids don't need me for that. Some of us are um, working with other women. Discipleship within the church happens with older women putting their lives into other women. That is work but it's not for a paycheck. Martha Peace says, you know what? When you go out and watch those 10K races and those half marathons, you know which age group are mostly doing it? It's mostly not just the 20-somethings. It's the 40-somethings who have kids that are out of the house. And what are they doing? They're training quite a bit. Okay. Guilty. I've run several half marathons. But that's not my life. My life is working with women helping women. We need more of that. Riverbend needs it. And I know a lot of you are doing it. You're meeting for Bible study. You're meeting in homes, one-on-one. -on -one. You're meeting for what your, whatever your group is called. You have fancy names for your groups, but you're doing it. Older women with kids out of the house can serve in an amazing way, and it's a blessing to the church. And they're not unsubmissive. What our problem is, is if that's our only thing, and husband, okay, you know what? Can't eat tonight because I've got Bible study. Or I didn't have time to clean the house because I was doing, doing, doing at church. Okay, home is the big thing. All these other ministries are secondary. Right, so letter R. We are going to spend some time on talking about restoring your husband when and if he strays from the Lord. So now we're back in 1 Peter 3. Be subject to your own husbands, wives, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by their conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. So 
This is one of the biggest counseling problems I encounter. What do I do with a husband who does not obey the word? Now, it could be an unbeliever. Could be a wife married to an unbeliever. Now she's a Christian. How do I handle that? First Peter 3 is beautiful. But it's harder for a wife of a professing Christian who's not following the Lord. This is where we need to talk one-on-one, -on -one, usually. But I'll give you some principles. This wife in 1 Peter 3, do you see how she is unselfish? How she's kind? How she's not screaming at him, but she's being gentle as she sees the issues in her husband? And I like it. Do you see the beginning of 1 Peter 3? Any of you who have ESV Bible will see that the word, the sentence starts with likewise. So that means we're looking up and we're looking to see how is she acting. It's like what? And the previous section is about Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 2, 21. For to this you've been called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But look at this next phrase. But continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. That's the same thing I was telling you about 1 Peter 3, 6. We can obey without fear, fearing anything that is frightening because we are entrusting ourselves to the Lord. We're honoring him with our lives, even in a difficult situation. So we are to act in the same way as Christ. He suffered under sinful people. And when we encounter these situations, we realize we're acting like Christ, which should be a great encouragement. The temptation we have is to keep nagging and reviling our husbands when they're not following the Lord. And it's the, it can be even about some really good things, like, why aren't you having family devotions? Don't you realize the effect this is having on our children? Can't you just get it together and open up the scripture for our family? Okay, so I'm talking about a different approach now. If we think of the wives being submissive, wives wanting something really good, but how do you go about it? And the details will come on one-on-one -on -one conversation, but the principle is taking our respectful and pure conduct and approaching our husband respectfully and not nagging and reviling, but urging in a gentle way and not going crazy with fear about it. So that's going to be the opposite of what our flesh says. And it's opposite of what we hear on the radio. And Jim was listening to the radio, and he heard a guy call, a lady call, and she goes, I want, to, I want my husband to treat me well, but he's not. And the, and the radio guy goes, well, what you should do 
is until he shapes up, you just don't make him dinner. Every time you sit down to dinner, you just have a can of beans on his plate. You just set some boundaries until he behaves. And she goes, but I thought I was supposed to treat him with kindness. I was supposed to love him. He goes, that never works. Okay, she had the right idea, and he was telling her something completely wrong. He was telling her to just make him obey. Okay, she knew what the scripture says here in 1 Peter 3, the kindness and gentleness that God uses to influence a husband. Romans 2, 4. How did God woo us? How did he draw us? Romans 2, 4 says, Do you presume, presume on the riches of his kindness with forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? That's how God treats us. We can treat others with that gentle kindness that God uses for us. The problem is nagging works. It works because husbands just, ah, I can't stand it anymore. Yes, okay, I'll do what you want. We'll go on vacation there where you want to go just to get her off his back. And just like Jim's probably telling those men, you know, men motivate by anger because that works. We can motivate by nagging. And sometimes we use anger too. None of that is honoring to the Lord. It's not following God's plan. We're not doing it because it works. We're going to do what God says. So instead, we're going to be like Jesus and not be. We're entrusting ourselves to him who judges justly, and we're not frightened by any fear because the reason we're taking control is because we're fearful. And if you ever study biblical counseling, you know that fear and control are tightly linked. That's why we want our kids to never eat fried chicken because they're going to grow up fat. And we're going to control their fatness by convincing them they should never have fried chicken. You see what I'm saying? Okay, if you follow that little weird example. Okay. So control is motivated by fear. Instead, if we take fear and realize, hey, you know, the Lord is in it. The Lord will be with me. The Lord is guiding through my husband. That'll help us when we desire control. So instead, we can try to win him by treating him better than he deserves. That is a crazy thought. But isn't that what Jesus has done for us? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He won us when we were not wanting him. He drew us to himself. So we can show grace and kindness and respect. I think that's what the First Peter 3 section is talking about. In verse 4 it says, Let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. We just need to hear that now and then. What God views as so precious 
He's a gentle and quiet spirit. That doesn't mean we can't be people who use our voices. We're not all whispering like Martha Peace says. We don't have to whisper. But it means I'm just, I'm just not crazy fearful. I am calm. I'm realizing I'm in God's hands, and he's in this relationship. He will guide my husband. So many wives have trouble with this because their husbands just don't measure up. And what we could say is they're living for their husband's attention and approval. If we're living for our husbands to, to do everything for us, we are going to be discontent, right? Some of us veterans can go, amen. Husbands aren't going to give us everything. And that's what also can make us cling to our, making our husbands behave a certain way. You are not treating me well. Okay, maybe he truly is not. But is that what our happiness depends on? Or does it depend on a relationship with the Lord? Okay, that brings the calm we need to deal with some of the sin that's happening in our marriages. If he's not meeting expectations, he's not romantic, he's not helping around the house, he's not picking up on our cues, he's not buying us what we wanted for Valentine's Day. I mean, didn't you know that? Well, some of our husbands don't know stuff like that. We need to tell them. And when we get impatient with our kids, we can get impatient with our husbands too. Some women, though, you know what they'll do? Johnny, Johnny gets all this love and attention, sweet talk, husband, none of that. She is pouring everything into her children, all the love, all the patience, all the generosity towards children, husbands shoved to the side, He's just disappointment. And do you see what's going to happen in a few years when those children leave? They have, do not have a relationship with one another because she has dedicated herself, and she's treating her children better than she's treating her husband. He can grow resentful of that. And this is where you see marriages breaking up after 20, 25 years of marriage. Say, what happened? Let's do some preventative work right now. Realize, those kids, we love them, sure. But husband, he's the one I'm married to till death do us part. Children are going to go. I'm going to invest in my marriage, my relationship with my husband. So we are going to realize also, though, from Proverbs, I mean, from First Peter 3, that the wives are not to just sit and take it. And that's bringing us up to the next point. Submission is not absolute. One of my passages, some of you might have anticipated me going here, is Acts 5, 29. Peter and the apostles, when they were told, do not preach anymore, their answer was, we must obey God rather than men. Okay? You've got to realize you don't submit okay i did tell you earlier in everything but now here's a caveat 
We're going to obey God first. A couple of examples. Lying. Now, when Ananias and Sapphira got in trouble, they both got in trouble. They both lied, right? But I had a friend whose husband turned in false tax returns. She did not sign them. And who went to prison? He did. Okay? She wasn't willing to go along and break the law for her husband. So, another way a wife might need to go against her husband is, for example, if he, she's married to somebody who says, I do not want you to attend church. Don't go to church. And if you're around the block a few times, you'll know their wives like this. Now, um, I know a wife whose husband said, I don't want you at church all the time. And she goes, okay. I will attend the early service. I'll be back home before he knows it. I will make him his lunch, and he will not know that I was at church. I'm going when he's not bothered by it. Am I going every Sunday night? Am I going every Wednesday night? Am I going to all the Bible studies? No. She's trying to follow her husband's wishes, but still, she must be in church. Now, you girls are here, but you know people who are in these sorts of marriages, and you need to encourage them Hebrews 10.25, do not forsake the meeting of yourselves together. Okay, that's your verse. You've got to be among the body of Christ. And if husband says, no, I don't want you to, you're going to find a compromise. It's going to be when he's sleeping in in the morning, maybe it's 8.30 service, whatever. This husband, same husband said, I do not want you to give any money to that church. No tithing. So what she did, she decided she would volunteer. She spent, when he was at work, she spent hours volunteering at the church. That was her tithe. She was giving up her time in the same way she was respecting her husband's desires. Okay? I love that. Beautiful example. So, wife does not need to go against her own conscience if husband asks her to do something sexually that's not right, that she doesn't agree with. Taking compromising pictures... All these things, that's outside of the realm of submission because we need to obey God rather than men. All right. That means you don't endure physical abuse. If a husband is having an affair and he says, don't you dare tell anyone, that is also a place where she needs to obey God rather than men because she needs to seek to restore her husband back to what he needs to hear. She might need to report what he's doing to the leadership of the church. If he has a pornography problem, say, don't tell a soul. This is nobody else's business, but you know the marriage is suffering because of that. Then you are called to go ask for a leader to help you. And it may be one of these women you've talked to first, and they will help you to find recourse to restore your husband back to where he should be because that's God's calling on you. You're um, allowed to confront husband's sins. And as... Uh, Jim spoke to some of us already about the Matthew 18 passage. 
Let me read to you what it says. This is our passage for confronting somebody with their sin. Proverbs 18, 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. Yay! But does it mean you're screaming at him and yelling at him? No. You're going gently, and you're talking, that's Galatians 6.1. You're going gently and talking to him, saying, we need help. And he might say, no way. We're never going to reveal any of our private stuff to anybody at that church. Now you're saying, we need help. I want to help you. I want our marriage to be a good, strong marriage. So I want to talk to a woman about it and take it from there, okay? Because the next step is verse 16, but if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. This is the church coming alongside the wife. And I'm not just talking about pornography issues. I'm talking about explosive anger, where we're having, I've talked to women whose husbands are throwing things at them, okay? Or threatening with a knife, or taking her cell phone away so that she can't call for anybody for help. These things are happening, I know they're happening, and they may not be in your family, but there are gonna be people around you that are suffering this kind of abuse, and those women might be told if you're really submissive, you wouldn't tell a soul. But that's not right. I'm telling you right now, and I'm showing you scriptures. This passage, Matthew 18, 15, it doesn't say there's an exception if you're married and then it doesn't apply to you. No, it says if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Between you and him alone, and if he listens to you, you've gained your brother. Yay! So we want to be coming alongside one another. Let's be the women who are willing to help these ladies who are coming with issues and problems. Okay, that is not the most fun thing to do. I sit for hours in counseling office with women with very, very difficult stories. And yet, we have women among us who are equipped to come alongside and share your grief but also to help you to be a wife who can support her husband and restore him back to a place where he needs to be. So we are glad for the honesty of scripture. It talks about so many different issues. We are glad also for strong churches like Riverbend that has a mechanism in place to help wives. Now, I promised you a couple minutes on what if my husband won't lead? I mean, you're talking a lot about trying to follow a husband and how hard it is. My husband's just given up. He doesn't even take any initiative. Okay, I know that happens. So for one thing, culture's teaching men to do that. So some men are just in line with that. Some have not seen an example of male leadership, good male leadership. So what do we do as wives? Well, first of all, we don't get on him. Well, if only you would lead, then everything would be better. Okay, you see, that's not the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. So we're not getting on his case. We are showing grace. We're treating him better. 
than his sins deserve. We're not giving unreasonable expectations. We are accepting of the fact that when he gets home from work, he wants to just crash a little bit. Just relax. We're going to let him do that. We're going to be gentle as we show him what God wants, showing grace. And when he does take the tiniest step of leadership, that was so great. I'm so glad. We're encouraging. We're encouraging even the baby steps. Come on. Oh, that was, oh, you've made the best decision there. And we're kind of, we're building him up. We're encouraging him in righteousness. Aren't we supposed to consider how to encourage one another to love and good deeds? Okay, there's an example. And your joy can still be in the Lord, even if you're married to a passive husband who won't lead. You can also have joy in the Lord, even if your husband is not your best friend, which is what you would desire, what everybody else seems to have. You can not make an idol out of your marriage, expecting it to be perfect, but recognizing we're all married to sinners. After all, he's married to a sinner too. <laughs> and I want to close with just a reminder to honor our husbands, to not let the voice of Satan deceive us about the role of submission that is just a demeaning doormat. That's all you are, mindless nothing, but to realize all the wonderful things God has given us in marriage. And I'll read you a few verses that we're going to actually submit to the Lord. That is what we want. We want to be like Christ. Mark 10, 43. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. It's a parallel to what I read before. Verse 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. That's the wife we want to be. And we want to remember when we get fear, become fearful, don't see things going the right way, remember the love the Lord has for us. Do you think he's blind to us as wives? He is not. 1 John 4, 18 and 19. Some of you know this. Some of you probably saying it already in your heads. It says, well, we got to get there. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. I'm talking about we're loving God in our marriages and showing it through our relationship with our husband. For fear has to do with punishment, but whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. Our love and respect for our husband comes from our love and our respect for our Heavenly Father. It's directly tied. And that's what I'm going to pray for you all as we close. Lord, we know that 
wives, married to sinners, find many reasons to not want to submit, to not want to follow your path. And yet, Christian women want to please you, Lord. But we find ourselves in all these situations where we question what should happen and whether we should take over and whether this is really the right thing. But I pray, Lord, as we come closer to you through your word, that we'll realize that our way of loving you is following you. And I pray that as we just bathe in the love that we know you have for us, that you've not forgotten us, that you would cause that love that we've developed with you to flow over into our husbands and to enrich our marriages. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.